Abram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode. The Knollcast, as always, we will thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana. Louisiana hot sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, and the driving force behind the Knollcast. So, Bud, as always, we are not short on uh, topics to cover. Have some pretty good news, some uh, interesting news out of the portal, and a big step forward to filling a uh, significant position of need. Dude, yeah. So FSU does land Jermaine Johnson. Uh, we spoke about him in the last podcast, and good to be speaking with you again here tonight for our last podcast of 2020. What what a 2020 it has been. I'm hoping this turns out well tonight. This is the first time I think in forever that Ingram and I both both had the your internet connection is unstable notification. So somehow uh, both of our internets tonight are conspiring. To potentially work against us, and we will see how this goes. But uh, Jermaine Johnson, I believe he had, what, four and a half sacks last year at Georgia. Hits the portal because he wasn't going to be a full-time starter for the Bulldogs. Normally, you think, okay, is FSU taking kind of sloppy seconds from Georgia? Ultimately, Georgia has the number one defense in the country per Bill Connolly's SP Plus and has just absolutely absurd defensive talent. FSU had a couple ends here relationship-wise, most notably. Uh, as we said on the last Nolcast with the Norvell uh, Dan Lanning connection there, uh, and so you know they they end up getting him. This was this was a solid get for Florida State. He's a player who I would expect to come in and start immediately, and a consistent theme I think you could say that we have said on this podcast is that FSU can improve this roster through the transfer portal without having to get superstars. It can just get solid players or decent players, and I think Jermaine Johnson is a, a good player. I don't think he's a star, but I think he's a good player. And he is a guy who can definitely come and help Florida State's defense. Yeah, it's a, it's a great uh, step forward at a position that they desperately needed to bolster the roster. And he is um, he's probably about the ceiling as far as the talent that you can grab in the uh, the portal right now. I mean, it's a it's a great opportunity for Florida State to address a need, and you know, most highly talented kids are going to want to transfer to a place that they can win championships and things like that. We've talked about the fact that that's not going to be the case for Florida state for a couple of years here, but Florida state can look that kid in the eye and prom, you know, all but promise him 65 snaps a game uh, next year and, and can promise him a, you know, a leading role uh, at a position that they desperately need help in. And it's a, it's a, it's a really good get, you know, I mean, it's a, I want to give you credit. I think you were, more optimistic than uh, than anybody else I listened to about their chances with him and uh, solid you know solid move by the staff and and Norvell in particular uh, to secure the talent of that kid. That's a it's a great get, and it doesn't mean that uh, all your concerns at at defensive end are, are washed away. But it's certainly a, a real big step forward to you know not fielding the the weakest unit in the in the conference next year. That's certainly certainly a, a true statement. And I I don't think that they're going to be done. Uh, with with pursuing edge rushers, I, I think as we discussed in the last podcast, when we went over where we where you think FSU should use its remaining scholarship spots, uh, I believe we both said that we thought FSU should take two DNs, right? Yeah, that was that was one place that we were you know comparatively in agreement that uh, that maybe you look to take a, a high end guy like a Johnson, and then well you know ideally you'd love to have two you know two 
quote unquote high end portal guys, but uh, you certainly needed one guy that could come in immediately fill a void. And it'll be interesting to see what they do with the other. I agree. I, I think two is the number at that position. And we'll be interested to see who the, who the second guy is. The one thing I do like about this is because you know that Norvell and Lanning have a relationship. I think that has to help, right? It has to, like, like you have to feel as a Florida state fan confident that Norvell at least checked with Lanning. I would assume, I mean, Norvell hasn't told me this, but, and he hasn't publicly commented on it, I don't believe, but you have to think he at least made that phone call and said, hey, what, what kind of kid are we getting here, right? Our culture is kind, of, is kind of crappy. And we got a lot of dudes who don't care about football and a lot of dudes who, you know, aren't, aren't really here for the quote unquote right reasons as, as a coach would define them. Um, like, is this a guy that's going to be able to, if not help our culture, at, at least not, you know, detract from our culture? Is he a guy who's going to be able to help us on the football field? And I, I don't think you take him if you don't get yeses to both of those. So like that, that's an encouraging sign for me that he's coming from a program where there's that clear connection because you know that Norvell knows Lanning. To, to me, I think that that's, that's a bonus here. Yeah. No, I, I certainly think it, it played a role in, uh, in you ultimately being able to land the kid. And I think you're also fair to make a point that it, it played a role in you having a lot higher degree of confidence as to, you know, what you're ultimately getting. So a uh, real big get for Florida State. Great that you've been able to uh, address the quarterback position. Now the defensive end position with two, um, you know, really significant additions to your roster and then uh you know we'll certainly continue to watch positions like uh you know wide receiver and, and linebacker and see what else is out there but uh for now uh a really nice ad for florida state yeah i'll be interested to see where, where they go with some of their spots i i know you know my thought they need to take two offensive linemen i i don't know that florida state agrees with me on that i just think like i was thinking about this today you brought in mckenzie milton I'm going to assume that Mackenzie Milton is more of a pocket passer now than he used to be because he almost lost his leg, literally, right? He's probably not going to be quite the run threat that he used to be. At least I'm not expecting him to be so. Your pass protection this year was, was pretty horrific on everything that was dropped back you know, that wasn't play action or quick game, you know, screen game based. I, I was looking at some of the numbers earlier you know, for my friend Bill Connolly, and I mean, sack rate allowed 113th, standard down sack rate 117th, actually uh, 80th on passing down sack rate, which I think was a good bit of of Travis taking off. Uh, pressure rate 104th uh, allowed. So, you know, that's and, and despite the fact they weren't necessarily blitzed quite as much as as you might you might think that that's my number one priority right now for Ford state is to go out. And I think you need to spend two scholarships at the position because I'm not really convinced that you're going to get a guy in the portal who is a no doubt, decent ACC quality tackle. I think if you spend two scholarships at the position, you increase your chance of, of getting at least one. And I, I understand that might be looked at, as a potential waste of a scholarship, because I mean, are you really in a position to use a scholarship on a non-starter? Perhaps I think you can't go into the season with that kind of hole at offensive tackle. Cause right now I don't think you have anybody who can play tackle at a, at a high level or at least at, at, at an ACC caliber level. And the numbers of your guys, the performance, of your guys there at tackle this year were bad. Alex Atkins did a tremendous job to hide it to the best, you know, to the extent he could. And Jordan Travis running did the, biggest thing to hide it right because they 
they went to basically a spread option in uh, in, in late September. You got you got to get that position shored up. So I I would still I would still use two scholarships there unless I somehow stumble into something that's really much better than I think FSU can get. Yeah, I agree with you. It'll it'll certainly be interesting. And you know they did make strides at the offensive line, but you know you you have to have that through the filter that they did so by running an offense that tried to mask the deficiencies of the offensive line uh, as much as possible. So, um, yeah, you know, we'll continue to look at the portal in general. That'll certainly be a major, you know, driver of the Florida State news that's out there. Um, In one of the... Least shocking pieces of news uh, ever. Uh, speaking of wide receivers, one Mr. Warren Thompson officially enters the transfer portal. I can't tell you how many times I've received texts that led me to believe that Thompson wouldn't be part of the program within the next 48 hours or something like that. Uh, glad to have some seemingly closure when it comes to this uh, topic matter. Thompson, talented individual. Certainly, you know, if he wants to to reach uh, the talent that he will occasionally flash, I think there's got to be a lot more consistency in general with both his kind of his practice habits and everything else. But the maturity, hopefully he lands in a place that, you know, brings that out and wish him the best. But, uh, you know, this this particular piece of news is not surprising and has really been a long time coming. So this is addition by subtraction. For Florida State. Now, when I say that, that does not mean, like, listen to what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that Thompson can't go somewhere else and be a good player. And in fact, I think you'll see some pretty decent schools kick the tires on Thompson because he does have physical ability in terms of, you know, build, athleticism, whatnot. Now, he's never caught the football. And I saw this kid a lot in high school. He's never been a guy that consistently catches the ball. That you can go back and listen to our podcast at the time. It's like, yeah, if he learns to catch, he could be a superstar. The hands, just the, the consistency and, and the concentration for the hands are just not there. At least not that I've ever seen. Practice habit-wise, attitude-wise, all that kind of stuff, I think this is addition by subtraction, personally. Uh, that like They now have him out of the program. The people around him are no longer going to be around the program. And that's a positive for this FSU program and for this staff. Uh, kind of an, an unneeded distraction and one that was not at all justified by on-field play. And at some point, potential is not going to justify putting up with some of the nonsense. Maybe he'll be able to like turn it around, you know. And I, I wonder if he doesn't go somewhere that's maybe not a high-level, you know, BCS type school. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll see on that. But I, I do think this is addition by subtraction. It was expected, so I I don't know about you, but I'm not really changing my thoughts on on the numbers that FSU needs at receiver. I, I would still take two receivers here either high school or uh, or college transfer. Yeah, I, th- I think the numbers stay the same. It was expected. Uh, like I said, I honestly, I think I thought uh, it had already happened maybe three times uh, previously. But, you know, with him leaving officially, and, you know, I certainly hope that sometimes with, with leg injuries, uh, knee injuries, that it takes a year or two even. And I reference that because I, I certainly hope that, what uh, what Helton looks like in, in 2021 is more like what you saw in 19, but, you know, it does appear as though that that injury is, has uh, 
impacted him as it would most people. Uh, but yeah, the wide receiver position, Jordan Young, everybody knew that was going to be a little while uh, before you you ultimately were able to you know scratch the surface as to the talent level that's there. But looks like there's still some work there. Uh, kid out of Palm Beach County that they got last year looks like a decent prospect, but just a lot of a lot of work that has to be done at that position. And in my opinion, uh, numbers are needed definitely. Numbers are needed. I just practice habits are needed. They need somebody who can come into practice and run routes hard all the time in practice and set an example in practice, right? Tamari and Terry wasn't that guy. Warren Thompson certainly wasn't that guy. Uh, somebody who can take hard coaching and like they need kind of a, I don't know, he's like a gym rat type, you know, experienced college receiver who maybe, maybe FSU offers a, a graduate program that this kid wants to, wants to come play, you know, play with and, or excuse me, to you know, get a degree in. And even if he's not a superstar level guy, I do think you need somebody who can kind of raise the floor at that position. And if you're able to kind of get better practice habits out of some of these dudes uh, and a little more want to at times, I, I think maybe, uh, maybe you'll see some of the more physically talented guys raise their game as well. As we kind of make our way through the more recent news, we will thank our friends at Madison Social, uh, great longtime sponsors of the Nolcast. Uh, it appears as though I did check earlier today. Uh, they still do have that uh, Nolcast gift card available. So if you want to go uh, get a nice New Year's gift for somebody or mail somebody a Christmas present, you'll get a, uh, you know, give them 50 bucks, get, get yourself 25 for when, uh, when the world returns to, to normalcy and uh, support people that have been a longtime supporter of the Nolcast. So madisonsocial.com backslash Nolcast. Uh, big thank you as always to Matt and his team. Absolutely. Great guys over there at Mad So Township. Guys, go visit them. Hit them up on the website. Get the gift card deal. Really, really help out our sponsors there if you can. And the next time you're in Tallahassee, get to use them or give them to a, you know, a student at Florida State that you know. And I'm sure they'll be very appreciative. Well, you should be adding a gift card to your wallet. Uh, FSU did lose a player uh, from its current class, and that's uh, Kimo Makianole, the offensive uh, guard from Niceville, Florida. He decommitted from uh, from Florida State. I, I guess I'll just give you my thoughts first on this. I previously said that I would not keep recruiting him. I think he's a good player. I don't know that he is an amazing player, and he's also a guard at least as far as I can tell. I just don't think you need to be, be busting your butt to try and sign a guard right now who's not even an early enrollee. Personally, I, I think you should use the scholarship spot on another tackle. I said it before signing day. If he doesn't sign, I don't think you should keep recruiting him. I think you should cut bait. Now, I think Florida State disagrees with me on this, and that's okay, right? I, I, I don't think the staff is perfect. I think they're a solid staff, but I just wouldn't keep recruiting a kid. I, I think okay, cool. Like you've been committed to us for how long? We've shown you everything we, we want to show you. You know, you got a friendly death chart. That's not good enough. All right. Peace. There's the complicating factor here that Niceville has been a school that's been you know pretty good in Fort State and obviously in its backyard. So you need to do it delicately. But I just, I, I think I'd find, try to find a way to tell the kid you're moving on. But I think FSU may continue to, uh, to recruit him. So we'll see if he ends up popping to LSU here uh, in the next couple of days, which I expect could happen. Yeah, certainly looks like it's going to happen based off the, you know, the note that he put out on social media. I would, 
you know, look, recruiters are going to try to recruit. I certainly understand that. And we had the recent example of McLean there, but uh, it didn't sound like that was going to necessarily be a, uh, a kid that was listening to your message anymore. And, you know, if, if the note is a sign that that ended amicably and all parties were, you know, not necessarily okay with it, but understood it, then I just, you know, like we both said that, we think this resolves itself either, you know, on or shortly after signing day. Sounds like uh, Kimo has made his decision. Wish him the best of luck. And uh, I would hope and uh, and expect that all focus moves to the portal and, and moves to tackles in particular there. So, yeah. And I'm not saying he's a bad player at all. But my thought here is what was the messaging from our sources at Fort State? We wanted, to, like, we think we're going to be able to do a pretty nice job in the class of 2022 on the offensive line. We don't want to kind of clog up the depth chart with guys who aren't going to either have a really, really high ceiling or are going to be able to help us quickly. So we'll take some dudes like Rod Orr, probably not going to be someone who can help them quickly, but does have a really high ceiling ultimately. I don't know that chemo fits that description. You know what I mean? Like, okay, maybe you just wanted to take a high school guard. I get that. But does he really fit that description for you? Is his ceiling that high? Maybe it is. I mean, this is a weird year. I haven't, I haven't been able to see this guy in person. Certainly not, not as a senior. His film's good, but I just don't know that he's a huge difference maker that, that you need to sweat and, and, and need, need to keep fighting over to sign him on, on, uh, on traditional signing day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, didn't he call LSU his dream school either the day he committed to Florida State or two days after? I mean, it's just, it is what it is. Uh, and I think if, uh, if LSU's found room then this discussion's pretty much over. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to have to see, but I, I don't think we'll be talking about chemo uh, in uh, too many future Nolcast episodes. And, and I suspect that FSU probably told him before early signing period, hey, call LSU to make sure you're actually a take there. I don't think he was a take for them in, in the early signing period. But, you know, sometimes spots open up. It's some, uh, it's some informed speculation, by the way. <laughs> and a very educated guess. Okay, another thing that uh, has long been on the horizon and <clears throat> isn't necessarily a surprise is that uh, when Mr. Kando has declared to the NFL, um, man, defensive end with all the potential and physical gifts in the world, and obviously that moment against UNC was a nice one, but didn't record a sack this year. I mean, it's just... Uh, Disappointment. Disappointing, ultimately, what, uh, from a t- production standpoint, what you, uh, what you got out of Kane Doe. Wish him the best of luck uh, playing on Sundays. I f- certainly think he'll be attractive to some teams just based off his physical frame and uh, how he'll test out. But, you know, certainly the, not only the production didn't match the, you know, the recruiting ranking, you just, even, even in a year where you saw J-Rob make some nice improvements, Certainly had some flashes from Kendo periodically, but not not the year that that uh, any of us certainly would have expected coming into it, based off some of the internal hype uh, off of the uh, the preseason that they had. So next year, I kind of I want to run you out there at DN in preseason camp just to see if Graham Smith get, gets hyped. Yeah. <laughs> But but there's this uh, there's this old walk on that's uh, showed up out of nowhere. Get get some decent pressure off the end. Yeah, no, I mean it, you know there's there's been other kids. Uh, there's every year. But even I mean I'm not trying to dog anybody, but 
one of the biggest positives from the coaching staff was that they thought Kalen Deloach was, was on the on the prefaces of having a breakout year. Because of how bad this damn deep offense is, I, there has been times where it's been incredibly hard for Florida State to have an accurate judge as to its talent, its defensive talent in particular. And uh, yeah, we will certainly put a thick filter on any kind of defensive end hype uh, that comes out uh, of, of preseason camp. That, this is kind of like the Josh Kando rule, I guess. I got to tell you, like, I think if you had told this staff in, when was their bye week? Because there was a week where I know they had like meetings where they discussed every single player. You know, and they, and they had like the academic staff in the meeting and like, I uh, assume compliance and whatnot, but like I know academics was in there. I think if you told them that, that both J-Rob and Kando were going, <clears throat> excuse me, were going to leave, they would have called BS. I, I think they were really counting on having at least one of those guys back. And if you hit them with the truth, sir, I'm like, I don't, I'm, I'm sure they'd probably go a little revisionist history now if you talk, if you talk to the staff, but I, if you hit them with the truth, sir, I, I, I really believe they would tell you this is a blow. To, to lose both J-Rob and Kando. J-Rob and Kando didn't have any sacks. Or excuse me, Kando didn't have any sacks. J-Rob had a couple. But man, the guys behind him didn't do a damn thing. And like the word I got about the guys behind them is is not good. They've got to nail this other transfer DN spot uh, because like they, I think they really were counting on at least one of these guys coming back and taking advantage of, the, of their extra senior season, at least as of like a month ago. Yeah, on the previous podcast, I said that I think as of three or four weeks ago, Florida State was pretty confident that Robinson was coming back. I think the, I think there was more of a understanding that that Kando was probably going to turn pro uh, regardless. But I, I do think that there was some confidence uh, up until recently that the you know you were going to get another another year out of uh, out of Robinson. So yeah, that's that's a blow undoubtedly. I mean, you really got to nail this other DN spot in in the portal. Um, for sure. I, I, there's some spots I think where maybe if you use a scholarship, you could improve the position, but I'm not really sure that, that it's as important as making sure you at least solidify certain positions like, like the end and, and like offensive tackle. So we'll, we'll have to see what comes of the portal there. Uh, we got some good, like we got some good, good listener questions tonight that we should probably get to. But first I do want to thank our friends at, the legendary team, legendary does a tremendous job with your home loan. That's Shannon and Chad. These guys are awesome. I did my mortgage through them. I did my refi through them. Their customer service, I think, is unmatched. Great rates, knowledge of the industry. We've had what a hundred and what are we at one hundred twenty now? I think Nolcast listeners have, have purchased their home or refied their home through these guys. Eight four four FSU loan. Eight four four FSU loan. Make a legendary decision today. Give Shannon a call. All right, bud. Uh, as you mentioned, we do have some some good listener questions to get into here. Uh, Marat, always a uh, frequent contributor to the uh, Nolcast, and we thank you for that, Marat. <clears throat> he says, the ACC Network recently aired Bowden Bowl 2 between Florida State and Clemson. Broadcaster showed the starting O-line and D-line, uh, and it was surprising to see that Clemson had 99% of its players in South Carolina and Georgia at the time. In fact, they only had two to three Florida players starting in their offensive line and defensive line. I just looked at their current full roster and counted 13 Florida players out of the 98 on the team. They still recruit many of their players from Georgia, South 
Carolina and North Carolina, but it certainly seems they have diversified into Tennessee, Alabama, and even Ohio. Given Clemson's recent success, I would have expected them to be able to recruit more Florida players. Uh, would you agree with that statement? If yes, why do you think they have had limited success in recruiting from Florida? How can Florida State use this to an advantage? Uh, for comparison, Alabama has 15 Florida players. Ohio State and Notre Dame have five Florida players in their roster. And Florida State currently has 69 players from the state of Florida. It doesn't really surprise me that Clemson only had that number during the Bowden Bowl because they really hadn't you know, won anything in quite a while. And recruiting out of state or a couple states over is, is difficult if you're not winning anything. Clemson is fairly selective in how they recruit the state of Florida. Uh, they are very much about culture. From what I understand, and I've spoken about this on, on the Barton and Bud podcast several times, like Clem, Dabo basically you know, tells these guys, you can have a couple knuckleheads on the roster, you know, maybe six or seven, and you know, the other 80-ish need to be like really good dudes. And he's a big believer in culture. And I think that's one of the ways that, along with having just phenomenal quarterback uh, recruiting, which is partially evaluation, partially sell job, and partially, uh, you know, there is a bit of, of, of luck and variance built into that, certainly. Uh, that's one of the ways they've been able to compete with, you know, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, uh, you know, those level programs, uh, despite the fact they don't sign quite as many five stars as those programs do. Uh, they, they seem to have, have really figured out the, the character formula. And they're a big player retention program. And I say that. Because I do think there are probably kids who would fit Clemson's model as far as the quality of athlete in Florida who don't fit the character model at Clemson. Um, some of your Florida kids just act different than like your Georgia or Texas kids or California kids when I see them at seven on seven tournaments or, or, or when I see them at games. There's a little more kind of cutthroat attitude to some of these dudes. And at a certain place, you know, that maybe we'll process guys out quickly. Okay, you eat, like you have, we're going to take you because you have the talent. We're just going to take talent, 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 talent. And then we're going to match up that talent and may, may, may the strongest survive and the rest of the guys will, will transfer out. At Clemson, they're, they're not really into that model. Um, not that they don't compete. They certainly compete a lot. Uh, but they are not really into the like, hey, we expect the loser of this battle to transfer out type thing quite like some other programs do. So I, th I think Clemson is selective when it recruits the state of Florida um, because some of these Florida kids are, are just wild, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. They are, but you're right. I mean, they keep enough, they keep enough culture kids to where they can take a McKenzie Alexander and make it work. You know, I mean, that, that's basically how I can cook down what you just said and, and, uh, and repeated and they've had a couple you know significant wins that have really kind of changed the not wins on the field uh, but wins in recruiting that kind of changed the trajectory and their ability i mean you know if you want to go back 20 years and look at one of the more impactful recruitments i'll still tell you that cj spiller was one of the you know one of the more impactful recruitments of uh, as far as florida state versus a um opponent and kind of what that opened up um 
who was the linebacker that that lost that chapped Jimbo's ass so hard? And Tony Stewart. I mean, that was a big one. Uh, and then you know the kind of them going down, getting Sammy Watkins opened up a uh, uh, a lot of South Florida talent and the ability to sell them on you know becoming a dominant player. And, and they had some staff with with ties to that area. But yeah, no, I mean they do a good job of blending. Uh, culture and then being able to take a you know roll the dice on a couple of kids and each year they've kind of risen that floor uh, to where their floor is is more and more talented so no they've they've done an incredible job and you know Clemson can recruit nationally and and at the same time have a real strong base and and Clemson and you know, everybody jokes about Clemson and Auburn being so similar uh, about you know all sorts of different things but the other things that they enjoy is that both of them are about a 75 minute ride from Atlanta on highway 85. It's, it's easy as hell for Clemson to go into the Atlanta area and I'm stretching it a little bit to claim Cartersville as, as Atlanta, but you know, they've been able to go into Atlanta, pick a couple kids out and, and been program changers. And they've got a couple kids from Westlake this year that are super talented and, you know, they, they use their geographic, uh, their geographic location to, to to their advantage as well as anybody that's out there. Uh, I'm completely in agreement with you there. So I, I don't know, you know, Marat's question is like, how can FSU use this to its advantage? I, I don't know that it necessarily can. Um, it just has to, it just has to do a really good job of picking the right guys from the state of Florida who have enough talent, uh, which is, you know, not super easy when you're not winning and you don't necessarily have a super dynamic recruiting staff, but, FSU is off to a pretty good start for 2022, so we'll we'll see how that holds over. Speaking of strong starts to 2022, we have a Travis Hunter question. Uh, with Travis Hunter being a big Florida State fan and his recruitment being in a good place because of it, can you talk about Derwin James's recruitment? How unique are situations like that with elite players? I I think he is referring to the uh, you know committing early and then hopefully seeing it through. Yeah, so Derwin James, uh, for those of you who recall, was one of the earliest commitments to Florida State. Now, Florida State was was doing well when when Derwin committed. He was class of was he class of fourteen? I think. Yeah, I think he was the first commit of that class, if I remember correctly. Because he was not he was not on the national title team. I think he was a year after Ramsey, if I recall. He was either fourteen or fifteen. I don't have it in front of me. Uh, so. You know, Florida State's coming off a national title, but when he committed, they were not. But they they were on on the come up. They, they were doing a good job. Florida was really floundering after getting rid of Urban Meyer. Miami was what Al Golden at the time, I think. So there really weren't many great in-state options. Uh, you know, Alabama was obviously a, a threat out of the state. But the guy grew up a huge Florida State fan, and Florida State was doing really well at the time, and they were doing well specifically with his position. So it was kind of a no-brainer. And then, yeah, he, he was uh, someone who was was vocal uh, about getting guys to Florida State. You know, he was frequently at Florida State's camps. I know his, you know his dad was able to take him up quite a bit. He actually got a Florida State tattoo, you know, which was uh, pretty prominent there on his arm. Um, it's not super often that you have guys like that. Florida State's going to have to do all they can to hold on to Travis Hunter, I, I think. And, and you know, part of that is going to be having a better season on the field and showing some progress. But that guy's a freak, and they're, they're extremely happy to have him. Yeah, extremely happy to have him. They have recently offered his uh, his quarterback, who's a, a decent player in his own right, 
Um, it is worth noting that it, um, Hunter is not like a, as is frequently with people in and of the city of Atlanta, uh, is a product of a, you know, transient, uh, parents who originally are from, I believe from Palm Beach County. So not necessarily a Atlanta kid born bred and gives you a little bit of ideas to how he might be a Florida state fan, uh, growing up. So, yeah, I mean, Travis Hunter is probably someone that will get mentioned one way or another in every null cast we do for a long time moving forward. And, uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, we, as we've said, in I think three of the last podcasts, it'll be a big damn deal. They'll have a fight on their hands and it would be, you know, potentially one of the real turning points of a program trying to find its feet again. So Travis Hunter, you'll hear about him. Sorry. You, you mentioned by the way that they, uh, that Fork State offered a, uh, quarterback, from uh, from from Georgia, obviously Hunter's teammate. They they actually offered a couple a couple of different QBs uh, this week. I believe all, almost all of them from out of state, except except for um, the kid who it was at uh, Montverde. It's just not shaping up to be a great year for quarterbacks so far in the state of Florida. It doesn't mean it's going to stay that way. In fact, I think the 2022 rankings will probably change a lot because let's face it. I mean, how many of these guys have we really been able to get out and see with the pandemic? Not many. There haven't been that many events. There's not a whole lot of like no doubt four or five star type kids at the quarterback position this year in, in, for the 2022 class in the state of Florida. Next question comes from Matt. Matt writes, the weirdness of 2020 persists. Watching J-Rob and Kane Doe leave hurts, but at the same time, it's heartening because those two guys have been a lot uh, during their times at Florida State. To help reduce uh, the impact of them leaving, we get the kid from Georgia. Can you give us some background on him? Uh, does he get just one year because of COVID? Uh, this staff seems to be killing it in the portal compared to Willie. Any particular reasons we can point to uh, this far? And uh, lastly, this will be the first COVID offseason. Could you outline how a normal offseason and the 2021 offseason will differ? Uh, yes. Yeah, so let's go ahead and take these you know, one, one thing at a time. Uh, so Jermaine Johnson is actually from Minnesota, uh, believe it or not. No, he had a, a, a challenging you know, upbringing. He ended up going to Independence Community College, which is in Kansas. Uh, he had some interest in Florida State out of, of JUCO. Ultimately, ended up at Georgia. He, he played a, a decent amount at Georgia, was not a, you know, was not a consistent starter uh, for them. Had some injuries in, in the Auburn and Tennessee game. Uh, but you know, like, uh, the, the guys flashed some ability. Now, I think uh, just going through how much time he has, right? And by the way, he was, I believe, on um, what's the, what's the uh, the junior college Netflix show? That slipped my mind here. Last chance, you the one that used our audio and didn't credit us. Is that the one you're referring to, Bud? Uh, correct. Yeah, that that is that is correct. Um, yeah, he was actually featured on season three. Okay, he's listed as a senior by Georgia. So I think he actually played two years uh, at Independence. I'm, I'm looking here to find like what his Independence stats were. Yeah, so he played 20 games for Independence, which um, almost has to be two seasons at the junior college level because they don't usually play like 14-game seasons. So that's not just like a year and a half. That's, that's most likely two actual seasons for Independence. And then he played uh, 2019 and he played 2020. So I, as far as I can tell, uh, he would he would have one year for FSU, and that is because of COVID. Yeah, 
Uh, Matt says the staff's also killing in the portal compared to Willie. And in particular reason, we, we can point to this as far. I would say the main reason probably is that the portal is more normalized now and it's just a more common thing, right? You know, they, I think they're also more aware of some of their roster deficiencies and probably more aware of which kids they can actually get in terms of high school uh, as opposed to waiting around. You guys remember me telling the, the story about how Florida State thought it was going to get Evan Neal and that just did not happen and they were very wrong on that and I told them that they were not going to get that kid. This staff seems to be more realistic. Yeah, Neil Thibodeau. I mean, there were many names from that first class that they were uh, a bit intoxicated uh, with the idea of getting, if for nothing else, and they were they were Florida State. Um, I agree with you. The staff has a better idea as to the reality of the recruiting landscape. Um, and, you know, I, I do think that I'm not just trying to sit here and bash Willie staff, but you could ask people that even aren't necessarily fans of, of Norville, uh, and they would tell you that he's uh, much more organized from an operation standpoint as Willie Taggart. And that lends itself to a lot of portal recruiting. I mean, sometimes it's just a kid comes out and has an interest in returning to the state of Florida. And sometimes it's being organized, seeing an opening, getting in front of a kid and, and trying to, you know, make your pitch. Uh, and I think from that, standpoint <clears throat> that's a, a different change as far as the level of operational organization and um, I'm not just trying to sit here and pump propaganda about Norvell and his staff certainly a disappointing year but um, I will say that it's a it is a uh, it's a staff that like sheds bad news fairly quickly I mean you don't like if something happens and you talk to somebody two weeks later you don't hear that again. You know, it's a staff that moves on pretty quickly from, okay, what, what's happened? What's the next step? What's the next target? And I think that that kind of lends itself to portal recruiting. I, I think that's fair. 100%. Also, Matt asks about the, uh, the outline of normal off season and the 2021 off season will differ. Well, I, I think they're going to be able to get a, a spring practice this year, most likely. Right. I mean, that, that seems to me like it's going to happen. I don't see any reason why they wouldn't now that we have COVID testing and now that the vaccine's being rolled out. Who knows when the, these guys get the vaccine? But I, I don't think spring practice is going to be shut down. Uh, so that, that'll be more normalized. Lifting will probably not be taking place at home this year. I think guys will be able to stay on campus more. You'll be able to have seven on sevens. You'll be able to have uh, more player-led meetings that are you know kind of pseudo-coach-led, but certainly not officially coach-led. There was nothing normal at all about the 2020 offseason. Uh, 2021 offseason is, is probably setting up to be much more normal. Right now, the recruiting dead period is extended through tax day. Uh, so you know, we'll have to see how FSU handles that. That's, that's not, a, not a positive for them because now most of these kids have never met your staff still in person and, and have not uh, been on your campus at all. As far as the actual team goes, it's just going to return to what a normal uh, offseason will be. Player workouts, seven-on-seven, seven, lifting, all, all that kind of stuff that you normally have. Uh, some of the team bonding activities, I, I think, and, and kind of instilling your culture in them. Having a full offseason with, with Coach Storms, the, the strength coach, probably should, be, should legitimately help this team. Uh, not that it won't help other teams, but I do think it might help this team more than some other teams because they didn't get it, and I think they really needed it. 
We'll move on to Eric, who has our next question. Uh, Eric writes, you've talked about the numeric limits for high school and transfers in this class and how many can be taken. I think it's 26. Do deflections out of your program impact, do defections out of your program impact these numbers? If you have guys leave, are you able to make up for their loss? If you're limited to 26 guys the cycle, or is there some other process for dealing with those losses? I think you've discussed this before, but I can't find the old podcast. Can you explain again the different, and this is a second question, uh, can you explain again the difference between committable and non-committable offers? And when recruits do their announcements, do they have paperwork from all schools available, or is there just a standard LOI that they can fill in in the school name? Just curious how far in advance the kid has to make up his mind before going live. Eric, we always appreciate your questions. Thank you. Absolutely. So uh, let's go ahead and take these one by one. Good questions from Eric here. And, uh, you know, I, I know we have answered some of these before, but at the same time, not everybody, not everybody listens to every single podcast and it is good to refresh. So, yes, we, we think FSU can take 26 guys this year. I believe that's the impression FSU's under. I've also seen 25, but it's either 25 or, or 26, depending on how something gets classified, which is a little too in the weeds for this podcast. Uh, defections out of the program do not impact these numbers at all. This is a hard and fast rule about the number of initial, initial players you can bring in per class. You get 25 per class plus whatever you didn't take in last year's class. There's some accounting tricks going on. That's why you could maybe get 26 instead of 25. So with Kando and Robbins leaving, your number does not change. You cannot make up their loss at all. You are limited to just the 26. There is no, to my knowledge, any kind of current proposal uh, to amend this. And I don't think it would get much, uh, much support if it did happen. We'll have to see on that. I've heard some different things about whether it would get support if it was on the table. But I very much doubt it's going to happen. For this year, it would have to be posed. And then I just, I don't think it's likely to happen. Eric, second question about, can you explain the difference between committable and non-committable offer? Sure. A committable offer is an offer that basically the school says you have an offer. And if you call up to commit, they'd say, all right, awesome, cool. We're going to put a coach on the phone. It's going to be awesome. A non-committable offer is basically a way to string out a player's recruitment, if we're being real here, where they like you, they want to offer, but something's holding back from them taking you. Either A, they want to see you in person. B, they want to work you out in person. To Like if they want to see you in person, it's most likely to, to meet you, talk to you, get your height, weight, that kind of stuff. If they want to work you out in person at a camp, that's kind of like a non-committable camp offer. Like, hey, you have an offer if, if you come to our camp. Uh, or they might actually be pretty sold on you, but they have somebody else on their board who is higher than you and they only have one spot at that position. So you have an offer. Yeah. But if you call a commit, you're going to get slow played. The head coach that day is going to be unavailable or out of the office. And of course, Ingram, you can only commit to the head coach, as you know. Right. He's out of the office. Can't get him on the phone right now. And we want it to be special. So uh, let's set up a time. Yes. This is not a Florida State thing. This is an every school thing. They pretty much all do this with like, very few exceptions. I think Stanford probably doesn't do non-committable offers, except they kind of like pseudo offer kids, but can't actually take them until admissions clears the guy, which oftentimes doesn't happen until like late November. That's, I think, why David Shaw at Stanford, by the way, was so adamantly against the early signing period. Uh, because like, 
guys, guys pushed up their timeline. Stanford admissions did not push up its timeline. Number three, when recruits do their announcements, do they have paperwork from all the schools available? Uh, no, they, or, excuse me. Yes, they do. There is not just like a standard LOI where they fill in, hey, I'm going to Florida State. Uh, they, FSU will send them the letter of intent, as will other schools who are actually, you know, wanting them to sign. Uh, sometimes schools who have recruited the guy either they don't really want him that much. They don't want him on the early date. They they want to kind of maybe hold the spot, see if what, what's going to happen. So they'll they'll push him to the late date. Uh, but no, you, there's 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 paperwork that each school will send. You have to fill out that paperwork. There's a number of who you got to fax it to, or just take a picture of it and email it in uh, to whoever that person is at each school. There's a lot of form, a lot of little boxes you got to check and whatnot. And uh, but the kid is going to get a letter of intent from pretty much all the schools from whom he has a legitimate offer. That That's the best way I can do it. So he doesn't have to make up his mind way in advance. Um, he, he'll probably go into signing day with, with a couple letters that he could sign. Yeah. And more times than not, uh, particularly depending on what time of day, like you're having a, a signing ceremony, I, I'd say it's 50, 50 that the school that he's signed with has already actually gotten his paperwork. I mean, that that's, that's something that happens a lot and happens, you know, you get a kid's paperwork at, at nine thirty in the morning and he's got a three o'clock announcement and you just try to try to sit on it. Uh, you know, frequently, like if, if it's signing day and you've got a camera crew in the war room, then that's where the kids go into school. You know, like it's not like I, I ironically enough, Tony Stewart, I think is the only kid that, has ever had a camera in the war room and not committed to Florida state. I mean, you, you know, what's happening there. It's a good moment of PR. Uh, if ESPN sitting there watching, you know, your war room and a, a kid's committing, then that's, that's where he's going. And more times than not, it's not just because, you know, somebody has texted you and let you know that uh, more times than not paperwork's already been delivered. Was it, was it Darby or Goldman? I'm trying to remember like who, they felt good about, but they didn't know for sure. Uh, I think it was Darby. I think it was Darby. They legit did. Darby played the game very well up until the last minute was my understanding of his uh, recruitment. I'll put it that way. Was that the one uh, where uh, a coach kind of mocked Trooper Taylor? I'm pretty sure that was the one. Yeah, where he jumped up, turned the hat around. Yeah, I mean, that was. And then st- started doing the the, the, the T-shirt around. Was, yeah. The that, was the one. Yeah. that was the uh, one that was some peak Florida state recruiting during that time period. So uh, hopefully we can get back to that sooner than later. That, that happened. All right, let's take, uh, let's take Lucas's question. So Lucas says, Hey, I'm happy to get him, but how on earth did it work out that McKenzie Milton wanted to come to Tallahassee? I mean, surely our nasty offensive line, consistent receivers and national championship aspirations uh, did it right. Yeah. I see Lucas as am I as a uh, big fan of the art of sarcasm. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, we've talked about this some, maybe maybe Milton didn't quite have as many options. I do think that there were some schools, ironically enough, uh, based off the conversation we just had, who kind of wanted a week and a half or so to see what was going to happen before they fully pursued him. Florida State, as you can imagine, was you know, pedal to the metal from the first moment. And I do think that, uh, you know, Norvell was pretty heavily involved in the cell job and 
good for them. Worked out. And uh, we'll have to see what the ultimate implications are, but a nice get for a program that needed a nice get at the, at the uh, quarterback position. Absolutely. All right. So let's go ahead and take, uh, take Trey's question. Uh, are there enough blue chips coming out every year for all the big three of FSU, Florida, and Miami to consistently be a top 10 team or to have top 10 talent? Uh, in, in much of the late 80s or, or 2000s, this was largely the case. However, with the changing landscape and other schools uh, pirating top talent in the state of Florida, is this still possible? So I, I think Trey actually has two different questions here. On the one hand, he asks, is there enough talent coming out every year? On the other hand, he asks a sort of you know, different question. Which is like, is it possible given that all the, all these other schools are pirating talent out of the state? So to answer the first question, I would say yes. Uh, the state of Florida is still producing, you know, more than fifty blue chip players, not including like your out of state IMG transfers, on an annual basis. So like that's that's really good. You know, you you get your fair share of those, and you do some decent out of state recruiting, and you have an excellent shot to to have a top ten class. Uh, that is made more difficult when you have schools like Alabama, Ohio State, some of Clemson, you know, some, some of Notre Dame uh, coming into the state and picking off some of your better players in the state. Uh, now, Florida State kind of has a reason for not doing as well in its own state this year. that the, the team sucked and none of the, I shouldn't say none, that's hyperbole. Many of the high school players in the state have probably never heard of Mike Norvell uh, and certainly had never met him in person. So you know, that's a problem. Uh, Miami did the best job recruiting in state this year by far, uh, and Florida did a, a decent job. But you know, you go to the Florida message board and you see their fans are not particularly happy where they are in recruiting. Uh, but you know, in my opinion, that's probably what you're going to get with Dan Mullen: good, not great recruiting, uh, even in a place like Florida, unless some things change, and tremendous on-field coaching. So that, that's a formula that can win if you have a really, really special quarterback and. I mean, probably better than Kyle Trask. No offense to Trask, I think he's a good player, but maybe not, you know, super amazing player. But it is di- it is difficult to trace point for all three of the schools to be up at the same time in terms of recruiting the state of Florida. If you have you know that number of players leaving the state uh, to go to other schools, I mean, you just you look at this, and I write about this in the Sunshine State Scorecard uh, every year. You know, previously Espionation, now at 24-7 Sports. Alabama p- pulled Dallas Turner. He's the top player in the state from the state of Florida. Miami kept kept Leonard Taylor and James Williams. Terrence Lewis, I guess, will go to Auburn or Maryland or Tennessee. I, I don't know. None of the in-state schools want him, as far as I know. Could be wrong on that, but I, that's, that's my read. Uh, Georgia pulled Xavier Sorry. Florida kept Jason Marshall in state. Alabama pulled Ja'Cory Brooks. Oklahoma pulled Mario Williams. Alabama again pulled a Jai Hall uh, and Christian Leary, two you know two more top receivers. Florida kept Tyreek Sapp in state. K. Denoff the D end out of Lakeland went to Clemson. Uh, Terry Arnold's probably guess going to pick Florida, but that's not that's not one hundred percent right now. At least uh, I'm I'm not hundred totally hundred percent on that. Brandon Jennings went to Maryland. We've covered that pretty well on this podcast. I'm not going to read off every school guy in the state, but you know, those are a lot of out-of-state schools that I mentioned, certainly. So there is enough talent to support three top 10 teams in Florida, but if the other teams outside the state keep picking it off, there's, there's, that's not going to happen. 
Yeah, no, I mean, just look at what, you know, look at what Alabama has done at the wide receiver position over the last five years or so. It gives you an idea. I will say, and this has been the case for as long as I've been following recruiting, uh, the state of Florida can provide you with almost everything you need uh, to win national championships if you're, you know, recruiting at a high level. Um, there has always been the need to go out of state and grab two or three quality offense linemen uh, for whatever reason. And that is kind of the one thing that you've got to balance. You really can build uh, an entire roster based off the state of Florida. And then occasionally you need to go get a quarterback and occasionally you need to get offense alignment from, from outside the state or outside Florida state's kind of traditional recruiting territory of uh, Florida and South Georgia. I would agree with that. All right. Let's uh, you want to end on, uh, on Kevin tonight. Yeah, let's wrap it up with Kevin. Uh, but before we do, we will thank our good friends at Congruity. Uh, Congruity has been uh, nothing but a, a great asset uh, to our business. Was talking with uh, with our good friend Matt Lewis recently. He was on a he was on a call, and the guy <laughs> said he paused in the middle of the conference call to go wait. Are you the Matt Lewis from the Nolcast? So, uh, you know, great to hear that, that people are associating uh, our friendship and our relationship with Congruity, the podcast. It's only made uh, our small business better. And we would ask that you uh, just give them a give them an opportunity to uh, make your business a more uh, highly optimized um you know, more highly efficient uh, outfit. So you can reach Matt at 844-247-4100 or Knowles at congruityhr.com. Again, N-O-L-E-S at congruityhr.com. All right. So Kevin asks, at this point of the rebuild and recruiting cycle, would you rather get a high school recruit that has more projection for 22 and 23 uh, or someone like a grad transfer that will help raise the floor for 2021? Thanks for the pod. It's been the best and even analysis commentary on Florida State football. I appreciate the kind words, Kevin. You want to go first on this or you want me to take it? I mean, I think the simple answer here is it depends on the position that you're recruiting. I do think that there's places on this roster uh, that I'd rather sign a high school kid, you know, assuming that he's high quality prospect uh, and kind of let the maturation process start to work in a, a staff for the most part that I think is pretty decent at developing prospects. Um, but when, you know, if we're talking about, in my opinion, if we're talking about wide receiver, defensive end, linebacker, you need help yesterday. I mean, you need, you need somebody that can come in and, and provide immediate support. Um, if we're talking about a running back, then yeah, I'd, unless it's a, <laughs> unless it's one or two names that have been associated with Florida State recently, uh, I'd really rather sign a high school kid and, and build him up over time. So uh, that is my kind of immediate, simple answer to the question. I, I think that's a fair answer. And the, I, I like that you pointed out it does depend on, on position. Wh- one thing I'm interested in seeing is, can FSU find any high school kids who pop late in some of these states that you know, haven't played their high school seasons yet. Uh, and may, maybe they, I mean, FSU has a lot of spots left. There, there's not that many schools out there. Just pull up the the top class list, right? I mean, Georgia only signed 20. Clemson signed 18. A lot of that's because they don't have spots in their 85, I think. Uh, Oklahoma signed 16. Again, they, they didn't lose very much off this Oklahoma team. But I mean, Florida State is, is at 16. There's basically nobody. Penn State signed 15, so there's a couple schools in FSU's boat, but like I don't think Florida's going to have a whole lot of room for a bunch of transfers this year. Um, they 
they have what 25 in their class now there's three kids who are are you know commits who may not end up signing with them uh and there's there's you know one one transfer already in in that mix um in in Bowman who they they just got i i think Florida State could actually it would not shock me if they find somebody who emerges late in one of these states didn't play ball yet at the high school level you know we'll we'll see what comes to that but i i think for the most part at this point i would uh i would be looking for transfers unless i find somebody with very high upside yeah yeah i mean uh, i do think that it's a little bit of a unique situation with a program that you're working with and a fan base who's had you know been nothing but spoiled historically over the last 40 years and that you've you know, are looking at a real tough schedule and you need to try to limit the ability of, of massive fallout. Um, but yeah, I think it's an interesting blend here and there's certain positions that you can kind of build for the future and there's other positions that you basically have to make sure you don't have a absolute dumpster fire on your hands to the extent that you really can't be competitive uh, at the position group and particularly conference play so um i mean we're all just kind of getting our hands around this transfer portal thing in general it's still a relatively new idea it's going to have massive impact on the game in general um i don't know that this will necessarily impact like florida state level recruits but it's it's going to be wildly detrimental particularly this year to you know lower level recruits who are just going to be squeezed out of an opportunity to otherwise get a scholarship it's it's kind of crazy what's happened in the sequence of events and the ramifications uh, to which of the portal and a portal that's only been made more complicated by COVID. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, look, if you're like a two-star recruit and you haven't received a committable offer in many other years you would have, I don't know that that scholarship offer is going to come this year. It'll just be interesting to see what the larger ramifications of this are. All right, man. Enjoyed this, and uh, I will talk to you in the new year. In the new year, most certainly always enjoy uh, the opportunity to put a Nolcast together. Thank you to our listeners, as always. Uh, been a, been a, uh, a year that I'm pretty eager to put in the books and uh, very much hope to, that uh, 2021 is a, a kinder year in general and, and brings more success to a, uh, a program that's certainly ready to experience it. Very much appreciate all of our listeners, guys. You are the lifeblood of this podcast, whether it be sending in questions or telling your friends, family. Appreciate y'all y'all listening. It's been a been a difficult year across the sport of college football. Love you guys, and we'll see you next year. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.